This episode of A Conversation With is sponsored by In Search of the New Compassionate Male. For more information, visit newcompassionatemale.com. Hello world, it's me, Dennis, Dennis Tardon. Today on A Conversation With, I interview a self-described average Russian citizen who, to protect his anonymity, calls himself Alex Mastrosov. This is the background for our conversation. Alexei Navalny, the leader of the opposition party to Russian President Vladimir Putin, was poisoned on August the 20th, 2020, in an attempted assassination attributed to the Russian FSB security service. He was medically evacuated to Germany, where he gradually recovered his health. Navalny decided to return to Russia on January the 17th, 2021, to continue his campaign against the Putin regime. As his plane was about to land in Moscow, the flight was diverted to an airport 30 miles away where Navalny was immediately arrested and taken to jail. Protests began to break out all over Russia. My guest today attended a protest in Moscow on January the 23rd, a Saturday, where he was arrested and then later released. Here is Alex's experience. Our translator, is Rachel Campbell. Hello, Alex. My name is Dennis. Dennis Tardon. Alex, yeah, Dennis. Dennis Tardon. I understood. Glad to meet you. Alex, can you share how old you are and a little about you, who you are, and so we can protect your anonymity? Can you share a little about you and your life, please? Yes, I'm 32 years old. I work as a supervisor. In my spare time, I enjoy working on cars. I like to fix my own car, make my own repairs, and I really enjoy video computer games. I, I would say that I'm a pretty average guy. Tell us about Alexei Navalny. How is he perceived in Russia? Let me explain it this way. There are those who are for Alexei Navalny and those who are against him. Let's take, for example, the older generation, my grandparents' generation. We need to remember that they were born and raised in the Soviet Union in Stalinist times, and there was a huge cult surrounding Stalin. The people who lived um, at that time were, they were af af afraid of power. It you know, wasn't so much that they mistrusted it, it was just something that they did not question, not something, it was something that they did not um, protest against. So this generation of people, they don't believe in Navalny, they don't believe in what he stands for, they they think that it's it's some sort of conspiracy, something that someone has made up. But I only answered the first part of your question. Navalny also has a huge following among the younger people, maybe the people up until the age of 40 or so. I would call this the generation that, that was raised and is more proficient in terms of the digital world, in terms of the Internet. They trust the Internet. They trust that they can find information there. So these younger people, these people who were raised in the digital age and know how to use the internet to 
to find facts, to verify stories and such. They are more eager to find out the truth and will, will dig to find the truth. This generation is less likely to blindly follow what the state media offers on TV, for example. So for this reason, a lot of young people support Navalny. The younger generation, the people even younger than I do, are, are even more likely to support Navalny because, because they, they know more of the truth about what's going on in the Putin regime. So the children who weren't born in the 90s, who weren't born um, during that time that the Soviet Union was falling, but, but were born after that, they definitely were born and raised in, in a different time than, for example, uh, those who were born and raised in the Soviet Union. So this definitely affects how, this definitely affects their political views. Since this younger generation is able to see and understand the truth of what's going on, uh, they're much more likely to support Navalny than older generations. Alex, how did you hear that Alexei was returning to Russia? How, uh, and, and what did you think about his decision to return? I get all of my information online, mostly through social media. Navalny is a very brave person, very courageous. For him to come back to Russia knowing what he was coming home to, well, of course, he's a very brave individual. To be honest, I find him very inspiring. To see a person who stands up for his beliefs even knowing what he's possibly facing, it's very impressive. I like that he is willing to open up the truth for people and speak the truth. I think these actions really cause people to respect him. He is such an inspiration to us. He is demonstrating through his actions that, that there's nothing to be afraid of, that, that the government is actually the people and not Putin. The main power in the government is the people. It's the nation itself. So, Alex, how did you hear that uh, Alexei had returned and was diverted away from the Moscow airport and arrested? How did you hear about that? All of the information about this was found on, is found on social media and on the internet. None of it is shown on television. So I learned about this on social media. Actually, it's pretty funny. I'll tell you why. The president, Putin, says that Navalny is not a politician, that nobody needs him. But then when he tries to come back to Russia, when Navalny tries to come back to Russia, the government acts to try to divert his flight. The government um, has a, a big mass of police officers there, and they diverted the plane to a different airport because there was a huge crowd of Navalny supporters wait, waiting for him at the airport where he was supposed to land. So it's, it's, it's funny, but it's also disgusting to me. So all of the information we receive is from the internet and from social media, nothing is said about Navalny on the radio or on TV. Alex, how did you know a protest was going, was, let me say that again. 
how was the protest organized? How did you hear about it? Was this on social media? This was on the 23rd of January? Once again, I found that all on the internet. As far as I know, absolutely all of the information is only found on the internet. There were and are no other sources for such information. No one anywhere else says anything about it. It's not on television, it's not on the radio, it's all forbidden. Since the media are all state-run, what's rather comical is that on television, for example, you won't even hear Navalny's name spoken. And that's why all information is found exclusively on the Internet. So you won't hear on radio or television anything about protests. There won't be any invitation to come and join the protests. Nothing. Silence. So people found out about it themselves. They organized themselves, and they came out to the protests themselves. That's it. That's how it happened. Alex, in China, they control the Internet and the information. In Russia, the Internet and social media is not controlled? Listen, in Russia, our government is definitely trying to move in that direction. I heard about a project. I, I don't know how far along they are in this project, though. I don't know what kind of progress they're making in this project, but, but I am aware of it. What they're trying to do is create a Russian Internet that, that exists only in Russia. So on the Russian Internet, you can only visit Russian sites, for example. But right now, the government doesn't have any control over the Internet. The, the Internet is such a thing that a, you know, a, a, any smart person understands that it can't be controlled. The Internet understands, remembers, and sees everything. But there certainly are special, you know, certain organizations that, that are set up to control the internet in Russia. Uh, for example, the police take part in them. These organizations periodically monitor the internet in Russia. So they follow certain sites, uh, certain groups of people. Uh, they, they, they monitor what is said on, on certain sites, particularly the sites um, where there's some indication that people are unhappy with the government. Anytime there is talk of people being unhappy with the government, those particular sites are monitored most closely. The government keeps track of which individuals speak out against the government. For such actions, then um, people can have their homes raided, for example. Um, these people can come and, um, and take people's computers away. They can... Uh, sue them for these anti-government statements. And, of course, the, the judges in these courts are all paid off by the government. The word of a citizen in court means absolutely nothing. The, the, the judge will always listen to what, what the government says against this person. The judges show no interest in what, a, in what a, an individual might have to say. Even the Federal Security Service of the Russian Federation, which, was, which is the, the main successor agency to the Soviet Union's KGB, is involved in such cases. Uh, Alex, can you tell me about your experience at the protest on January 23rd, please? 
My story is really pretty ordinary. I simply decided that I wanted to see for myself what was going on. To be honest, after I watched the, um, the video that Navalny put out uh, in terms of his research into Putin and the corruption in the government, I really wanted to see what was going on at the protest. Navalny's video about Putin was, was a real breakthrough for me. So I decided that I wanted to show the government my my interest in what was going on, just just demonstrate my rights as a citizen. I wanted to do this peacefully. I, I didn't want any kind of battle, any kind of war. I just wanted to be true to myself. I just wanted to see what was happening. In fact, uh, there's a saying that says that, that one stick can be easily broken, but once you, uh, once you tie up a group of sticks together, well, then that is much harder to break. So I wanted to see who was out there and, and what they're supporting and what they think about things. So I went down there to see what was going on. I went with my sister and her husband and their son, my nephew. To be honest, when we were walking toward Pushkin Square, we saw that that there was a group lined up along the sidewalks and I looked and I saw that it was the National Guard of the Russian Federation, which is the internal military force of the Russian government. Uh, this is an independent agency that reports directly to the Russian president under his powers as Supreme Commander-in-Chief and Chairman of the Security Council. This is a special, these are special forces, um, Putin's special forces. Actually, uh, Putin was the one who founded this, this National Guard of Russia. Essentially, this is a, a group of people, this National Guard of Russia. Um, they're there to guard the interests of the government. As I was walking along, as I was walking by this group of members of the National Guard, what really caught my eye, what, what for me was an absolute shock, is, is how this group of, of people in masks, in body armor, completely, completely armored up, looked at me with such hate. I, they, they looked at me, you know, as if as if I had already committed some sort of crime, you know, as as if I had already killed somebody. They looked at me with complete, just utter hate in their eyes. You folks in civilized countries, when when you find yourselves in the presence of the police, you you feel safe with them. You have the impression that <clears throat> that that here is someone whose salary is, is being paid by, by your tax money and, and is there to protect you. At this protest, though, I had absolutely just a completely different feeling from that. It was very unpleasant. Um, at, at any moment, you, you didn't know like, what to be afraid of. So I felt this, this constant pressure, like, I didn't know whom to be afraid of. I didn't know whether I should be afraid of, of this great mass of people in the protests or if I should be afraid of the, the National Guard forces that were there and armed up. I had never felt anything like that in my life. 
So there I was standing with my with my teenage nephew who is 14 years old. We very intentionally chose to stand near the journalists, near the press, and near the police. I figured, you know, I, I didn't come here to make any trouble. Um, I'll just I'll just stay safer here standing near the police. I figured it was probably safest there. So there I was standing near the police, near the journalists, and, and to be honest, um, I was there less than 10 minutes. At one point I turned aside, my, my sister and her husband were about 10 steps away, and I heard some sort of noise, uh, maybe it was some kind of alarm, um, and, and so I turned, and at that moment they grabbed me from behind. Uh, it was a group of policemen. They uh, they took me from they, they grabbed me from underneath my arms and and dragged me to the police vehicle, and they they sat me down again in the police vehicle. And and I I want to mention that that in this in this vehicle that had been especially sort of created for the police, there were 19 people in there. Um, including a number of youth and even young girls. There were three girls and, and at least a couple of very young teenagers, um, 14 or 15, and I looked around and I could not understand why on earth uh, these youth were, were being arrested. It's one thing when there's an actual threat. It's quite another thing when they randomly choose people from the crowd I, I, I can say from sitting in that police car that, um, that, that of the 19 of us there, at least those five youth were not a threat in the least. For me, it was like, it was like having a, a, a bucket of, of ice water poured over my head. You understand? And this is a very important point I want to make. I mean, this is a generation of teenagers who are growing up. The police, with their actions, are creating in this new generation uh, aggression toward the police. And now my nephew, of course, will never trust a police officer. He'll say, oh, I remember how you took away my uncle. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, he will, he will never trust the police. He'll never trust a judge. I mean, for example, my court date is on February 3rd. Putin himself created a particular, um, a new, a new codex, a new statute. It's Statute Twenty Point One, and they levy a fine for those who take part in in protests that aren't sanctioned by the government. The fine ranges from ten thousand to twenty thousand rubles. Do you understand? I make fifty thousand rubles a month. So this is all done in order to discourage people from taking part in these kinds of protests. Putin does this so that people will be afraid, you know, they'll, they'll be afraid of the police, of, of being hurt by the police physically, or people will be afraid because uh, they know that they will have to pay quite a bit of money. I want to say something here about the Russian National Guard. The Russian National Guard and the police are, are two different things. The Russian National Guard was created by Putin and reports directly to him. 
It was Putin's initiative to create this Russian National Guard. Most of the people who are recruited for the Russian National Guard are people from outside the cities, from the poorer、uh, rural areas and provinces of Russia. So just imagine I'm a young man. I'm 20 years old, maybe 25. I was born in a small village, and as you know. Small villages in Russia are dying at a fast pace. There are no jobs available. There's really nothing to do, and the agricultural sector is not growing at this moment. So now, for whatever reason, it's cheaper to buy things from abroad. For example, all of all of the tomatoes in Russia are from Turkey. So there's really nothing for a, a young man who was born and raised in a village to do there at the village in the village in terms of work. So a young man from such a village knows that the only opportunities he has in life are found in Moscow. It's it's a great city. That's where all the money is. But he doesn't have any skills, any any trade. He He may have graduated from middle school or perhaps high school, but he doesn't have he doesn't have the skills to get a job in Moscow, for example. On top of that, if you come to Moscow, you have to find a place to live. You have to rent an apartment, and in Moscow, housing is very expensive. Rents are very high here. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, you get an invitation from the Russian National Guard. We will give you a place to live. We will feed you.、Uh, we'll give you a uniform, and you'll simply maintain order. So then, these young people go through. Oh, they sit through seminars and different presentations, and they're told, "Oh, well, look, look at these people. These people are against our government." These people are the enemy. They're rocking the boat. They're 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 not the real voice of the people. These people at the protests, they're they're just like two percent of the population. They're the scum of the earth. They're not good people. They're just oh, they're all alcoholics and prostitutes and drug users. So the National Guard basically brainwashes these young men. So really, it's not surprising when I. Come across these National Guard people at the protests that that these members of the National Guard hate me because all of this propaganda has been beaten into their heads. As I said, they've been brainwashed, so they think that we are not normal. They don't realize that we're just regular people who want to see change, who want to see a better life for ourselves. We want a better life for our children. We want better pensions. We want better healthcare. But these young men in the National Guard. Don't don't realize that that we're just regular people, not the enemy. And the National Guard has it made. They've got a salary. They've got uniforms. And so, what do they do? They just beat us normal people. You probably saw the video of the of the National Guard member who attacked a, a woman and、uh, and kicked her in the stomach. You saw that video, right? That video from Saint Petersburg. But this National Guard member could have just. Talked to her, or or knocked her in the shoulder. There was no reason for him to beat her. There was absolutely no reason to be violent toward her. I understand that there was a big crowd, but I swear these National Guard people should undergo some kind of psychological testing, some kind of stress tests, to make sure that that they're able to act normally and appropriately under pressure. There's just no reason to hit people like that. I, I I don't see any reason for it. And those are the kinds of people who work in 
our armed services, sorry, not in the armed services, uh, those who serve uh, in the government. So I had just wanted to go to the protests, and I found out the hard way that in our country, you are not safe, not by any stretch of the imagination. You do know how the police work in Russia, right? I mean, they, they get paid based on, basically based on the arrests they made. So uh, they, 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 they get paid if they arrest someone for, um, like, for example, for carrying drugs. And so the police will very blatantly plant the drugs on people so that they can make the arrest. There's an expectation that the police will make a certain number of arrests for different kinds of for different kinds of crimes. So say that you get drunk one night and you're just walking home, well the police can apprehend you, plant drugs on you, and then you have to pay a big fine. It, it's incredibly easy too to pay off the police. So say that you're unhappy with someone, you can basically pay the police to arrest that person because all of the judges know all of the lawyers who know all of the government workers it's a whole big money-making scheme. If, if the police want to arrest you, they will, and nothing will save you from that. There are, of course, honest workers in the government, but, but, but they're quickly given new positions so that someone who is easily paid off will take over that position. It's really awful. It's awful and frightening. Where were you taken and how you were treated uh, in, in, in custody? What was your experience? What was that experience and how long were you there? They took me to a neighborhood police station, just a neighborhood one. What surprised me the most was, was the, the police who took us to the station um, obviously didn't didn't work there at that particular station. They were from a, some sort of different unit. And to be honest, the, the police at the station where we were taken were actually very loyal to us. There is a certain human rights foundation organization that collects donations. And one of the women from this foundation um, sent us a... A free a pro bono lawyer. We were able to consult with this lawyer, and the, the lawyer stayed with us when we were completing paperwork related to our arrest. There was also a deputy from this neighborhood, from this particular police station. He wanted to hear what had happened, how we were treated. Um, he offered to bring us food, for example. He was interested in our experience, and he even offered to um, to take us home. He said that during the protests of 2015, there had been a lot of pressure on, on his particular police station, on that particular police unit. He said that, that the police didn't treat the protesters as well as they as they could have the police accused people of of wrongdoing and said that really they, they they should just stay home and watch hockey so now here we are five years later well actually six it's 2021 and i was really impressed with how with how loyal the police were to us this time around i definitely got the impression that that the police were on our side 
and very much against what, what is what is happening right now. It seems that they are also against the, the government and against those in power. But, of course, they have a certain job that they are required to do. The police officers also have families. They also have their own lives and their own children to care for. Maybe they would rather get another job, um, maybe not working as police officers, but the issue with us is that um, if you've worked for, for the police, it's very difficult to find another job later. Nobody wants to hire a former police officer. The only jobs that they could possibly get would be, um, say, working for, um, working as guards, working in some sort of security capacity, or as maybe detectives. But in our employment arena here in Russia, those are very, very few and far between. Those those positions are very hard to get. There are very few businesses that, that need those kinds of people. So it makes sense for them to stay in their jobs as police officers. But, but, but I would say that they treated us very fairly. They were actually very kind to us. And um, to be honest, I, I, I never heard a, a single strong word um, from any of them. So they had us sit down and and I sat there for about four hours. They filled out the paperwork and sent us away. Uh, but fortunately for me, I was in one of the very first groups to be arrested. In, in fact, the police vehicle I was in might, might, might have been the very first one that left Pushkin Square. Later, after they started arresting just masses of people, people ended up sitting in these police vehicles for four or five hours. The police didn't you know, couldn't keep up with the people who had been brought in earlier in terms of booking them and um, helping them take care of their paperwork. So there was just no place to to bring the new people who had been arrested. So the people were just stuck in the police vehicles, and the police vehicles were waiting for word on where to take these people who had been arrested. So that's how it was. <laughs> what what now? Uh, what 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 are, are your plans? How do you plan on going forward in this with you and your family? What are your thoughts uh, about about what's next in, in in your own personal experience, Alex? Uh, I understand that it's really difficult to make changes when the government is against you. So what kinds of plans do I have? Well, to work and to live like I used to live. Now I think I'm going to attend such meetings even more often. I'm not afraid. I mean, and and the fact that I'm just, just a regular guy and am going to go to these meetings, maybe I'll be able to get some of my acquaintances to come along with me. Maybe I'll be able to get them to come. I can show them that there's no reason to be afraid. Maybe I'll be able to get them to act too. I, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll just keep on living the, the way I have been. But I'm definitely going to try to attend these kinds of events. I want to be able to, to share my opinions and not be afraid. Oh, uh, there's one other thing that I wanted to add. 
The Alexei Navalny's foundation helps people who have been arrested to pay for their fines. So they'll help uh, get you a lawyer for when you go to court, and they'll help you pay your fines. So now you can go to these meetings and not be afraid. You can not be afraid to go. If you don't have money to pay for the fines, they'll help you. That's very motivating. So it's, it's worth an effort. It's worth making an effort to try to change something peacefully. It's better than just sitting home complaining about things. And can can you ask if internationally that that we can't that that people who are outside of russia can contribute to the uh, foundation everything is very transparent it's a very transparent system so people from any in any corner of the world if they wish to can certainly contribute this is actually a really important thing because um, if, if you're afraid and you don't want to go out and be part of the protests even if you contribute a dollar or two then then you're still helping you're, you're, you're still helping in a very practical way. It's as good as showing up at the protest. On the other hand, I suppose this gives the, the government a, a reason to call the foundation of an, an, an agent, an enemy agent. So on the one hand, it's, it's great that you know, if people could help from around the world. On the other hand, the, the, the government can just blame everyone and, and, and call them all foreign agents. Alex, is there anything that you would like Americans to know? Anything that you want us, that you would like to say to us as a people from your experience and how uh, and, and what, what we're going through in the United States and what we can learn from you? To be honest, there's nothing that, that you could learn from us. It's we who need to learn from you. We need to learn from you because you're not afraid. Here's an example. Imagine that um, that someone important in politics, not the president, but maybe maybe a senator. Imagine that um, a senator decided to to do some really in-depth research and share the findings. You know, something like what Navalny did. Well, people people would would call that person to the carpet. I mean, the person who's, whose improper bad deeds had been exposed. People would insist that, that that person step down from government service. That's just not how things work here. We here in Russia need to learn how to stand up for our rights. We need to learn how to, how to protest peacefully, for example. We need to learn how to achieve our goals peacefully. I can say a few words about about anti-America propaganda. That kind of propaganda continues to this day, and it says that America is the enemy. Americans are our enemies. Propaganda tells us that uh, that America wants to destroy Russia 
that the American leaders want to be the sole leaders over the entire world. And people who are not inclined or able to think critically, they just accept this speech hook, line, and sinker. They hate Americans. They don't have any reason to hate Americans, but they absolutely hate them. And they say, oh, those Americans, they're awful, they're terrible. Oh, look how they live, and look at how we live. So we have a lot to learn from you. So I don't know what what a free American citizen who has rights could possibly learn from us. We are as if we were free. I mean, we're, we're free on paper. It, it, it appears that we have freedom. But the very second you veer from the basic, ordinary, everyday opinions, basically, if you don't toe the line, that's it. That's the end. They will call you a terrorist or a criminal, or they will make you an enemy of the people. They'll say, oh, it's because of you that, that we have problems. You're the one rocking the boat. Why are you going to these protests? Really, you know what? You just need to be patient. That saying has been with us all our lives. You just have to be patient. Soon, everything will be better. But in actuality, this soon will never come. It, w it will never come as long as, as people believe this, these lies. I'm not going to live forever. I just have a, a, a typical physical body organism. I am getting older and I will die. I, I, I want to live a good life now. There's no point in my waiting for some mythical tomorrow. And people wait for decades. There are people who to this day um, remember, remember Stalin fondly. And we're talking about Stalin who, who had people killed, who had people shot. Who, who destroyed millions of lives. Stalin repressed people um, without, without trial, and he did it just because. I'll, I'll tell you how it used to be. Back in the day, if you were unhappy with somebody, you could have that person taken away very easily. For example, let's say that you had a neighbor who had a propane lamp. Well, you could, you could report that, that this neighbor has propane and matches, and then the authorities would come and take him away because um, he could be making bombs. And now you've got tons, hundreds, thousands, millions of people who who remember and support Stalin even though they, they weren't even living at that time. And they say, Oh, oh, that great Stalin. Boy, if we lived under, under Stalin, um, none of this would be happening. But in reality, it would be worse than it is now. Back then, if you didn't say hi to your neighbor, or if you, if you just happened to have better food at, at dinner that evening, the, the, the neighbor could report you. The authority was, would come into the night and that w w would come to you at night, take you away, and that would be the end. That was really common back then. And so I can't understand the nostalgia that people feel for those times. I, I can't begin to understand why, why they thought that was better. And why people today think, think um, they lived better back then. I, I, I just can't understand it. So what we need to really learn to do is think. 
Um, I guess the one thing that we do have on our side is is the Russian spirit, the famous Russian spirit. Russians are a deeply spiritual people, so, well, maybe that would be something that you could learn from us. But in terms of politics, well, that's another story. Oh, by the way, I, 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 saw, I saw a video of, of someone apprehending someone who had stormed the Capitol in the United States. And the authorities just grabbed this certain protester by, by, by the shoulder and, and led him away to talk to him in a, in a rather friendly way. And, and, well, that would never happen in America or in Russia. It, it would never happen that uh, that it would that that the authorities would would appear to be almost uh, friendly toward the protesters never that would absolutely never happen here so i would just ask you to to stay just just as you are and not to change but to really value your freedom i wish you all the best Wonderful. Thank you so much. My heart, our heart goes out to you and to all the Russian people. We are, we are with you. We are, we are with you. We, we, we support you. We want, we want to, to be with you together. We're citizens of the planet. I wanted to say just one more thing. Um, after the Second World War, there were a lot of soldiers who came home and had handicapping conditions. They were invalids. There were so many of them. Uh, some were left without legs, some were left without arms. During the war, we needed these soldiers. They, they did their part to achieve a victory, to defend the motherland. But then after the war, they were completely forgotten. And they started to drink. I mean, you could go into any bar or any tavern and you, you, would, you would find them there. They were, they were regular clients, regular visitors. They weren't afraid of anything. They had survived the war. They had seen it all. And they, they, they were ready, ready to speak the truth. They had nothing to lose. So Stalin made an order. I, I, I don't remember the, the, the number of, of this particular order, but he created an order and he said, basically what happened is that on a single night, or well, it was maybe a series of nights, um, vehicles came and they gathered up all of these people and they were taken away they were taken away to well they're well they're they weren't like concentration camps exactly they were like like shelters like asylums and they were completely forgotten because Stalin thought that that the the face of victory that 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 the face of of yeah of victory is is a young soldier who is well and looks healthy and happy and strong. The face of victory was a, a young soldier wearing medals, right? Not, not these invalids. So he didn't want to see him anymore. So this brand of government, this, this, this approach to governing uh, hasn't gone anywhere. It's still with us. Putin himself was a KGB officer. He served in the Secret Service. 
So he knows this very well. And and so everything that's happening now, well, you know, Putin Putin was just just another poor person in in the Soviet Union. Uh, but but he decided that that enough, you know, that, that that he was tired of of earning this this really abysmal salary, and he decided to take power into his own hands. So he basically declared himself president forever, and and he decided to create a system where all of the people who work for him will have that post for life. They cannot be fired. So all of Putin's cronies in in gas and oil, all of the, the bankers, all of the people in the transportation system, they are all friends with Putin. And uh, and, and and they they know how to curry favor with him. They have it good. They they know that that, that Putin is protecting them and their interests. So what started with Stalin continues. Um, you know, Stalin also wanted those who worked with him to be, to be not as smart as he is. Um, Putin does the exact same thing. He he works with people who are who are not as bright, because then they are a lot more loyal. It's just a lot easier to control those people, and then these people, who who kowtow to Putin. Well, they continue the system because they have to also hire people who are even less smart than they are. So you end up with some really stupid people. The the people who poisoned Navalny were 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 so afraid of of being fired. Well, they're they they were simply incompetent. They. They didn't know what they were doing, uh, but 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 they were giving orders. They, they were given orders that they had to fulfill. So you get orders, and even if you don't know how to fulfill the orders, you just have to do it anyway. And that's how it is in Russia. That's how it is in the Russian army too. If you have an order, you fulfill the order. Um, if you don't know how to do it, that's that's not my problem. You just do it. Just get it done. It doesn't matter how you do it. And so that's what we have these days. We've got a lot of people and they don't know what they're doing. They just have to do it. So they have to rely on connections. So that's it. This episode of A Conversation With has been sponsored by In Search of the New Compassionate Male. For more information, visit newcompassionatemale.com.